She has to be good at something and wants to be good at something. So that doesn't mean necessarily she has to be rich, although that's hugely attractive in itself as well. <laughs> but, but it means that she, I am very attracted to a woman who is driven, who has some professional ambitions and who has achieved some success, even if that means being a, a, in a graduate degree program somewhere, but is aiming for something that she can do herself. I'm totally attracted by it is confidence, proficiency, and yeah, let me admit too, status as well. That's that's attractive to me as well. And it's funny because a lot of women believe that men are the opposite, right? A lot of women believe that men like to be the powerful one and they like to have a woman who is less successful than they are so that they can feel strong. I don't know what men they're talking to because none of my male friends <laughs> are like that. You know? Your lifelong passions, dreams, and aspirations, your joys and creative spurs, your femininity, your success, all in one place. This is Girl Skill with your host, Anna Rova. All right. Hello, lady, and welcome to Girl Skill Podcast. And this is a very special segment of Girl Skill Podcast. If you want to go back and kind of get a background of what this episode is about and why is it a little bit different, you can go to the exciting Changes on Girl Skill podcast episode that I just released a few days ago or weeks ago, if you're listening to this a bit further. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Know that this is not the regular episode. In fact, these are episodes from a podcast that I've been doing about five years ago when I was interviewing men about women and relationships. So the quality is not that great. I'm very new and green, but the reason I'm releasing this is because, well, because we're pivoting into something new with the Girl Skill Podcast. And while we were waiting for that to happen, I just decided to entertain you a little bit, to throw in some education and to just see how green I was five years ago when I was interviewing all these men, a little bit nervous, a little bit awkward, you know how it is. But this was the bedrock of my work and my understanding of men. So I really hope you enjoy this. And I really hope, you know, you'll find that pretty cool. And I'm very excited to release it. A little bit nervous, but also excited. So enjoy this episode. Uh, stay until the end because an awkward jar, a special segment, an awkward jar is is waiting for you. And yeah, just let me know how this is for you. I'm always, you know, on Instagram as Anna Rova. I'm on Facebook, but you can also email me at Anna at girlskill.com. Let me know what you think. Please be gentle because <laughs> five years ago, I was like a completely different Anna. So Enjoy the episode and yeah, I'll see you at the end. Bye. Girl Skill, female success redefined. So today we talked to a man whose name is Russell Smith and Russell is the men's style guide. Hi, Russell. Welcome to the Hi. show. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you again for doing this. I'm super excited about talking to you. And let me read a description for the audience about you. And that's taken from your website. Um, Russell Smith is one of Canada's funniest and nastiest writers. Uh, his previous novels, including How Insensitive and Girl Crazy, are records of urban frenzy and exciting underworlds. He writes a provocative weekly column on the arts in the National Globe and Mail and teaches the MFA program at the University of Gulf. Gulf. <laughs> and most importantly, he hates folk music. I thought this detail was very interesting. And uh, so let me tell the listeners a little bit of background why I'm interviewing you today. I heard Russell's interview on the art of manliness, uh, which was basically where he was interviewed 
on his book Men's Style, The Thinking Men's Guide to Dress, which you, Russell, uh, released, uh, published a couple of uh, years ago. And it was an amazing interview where you talked to Brett about, you know, the history of men's style and fashion and trends and what does it mean to a man and all of that stuff. And I also read a lot of reviews on your book and Brett himself recommends this uh, as the book on men's style guide. It's very entertaining. It's very well written. And so when I heard this, I was like, oh my God, I need to talk to this guy. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to talk to a, f- a model, a fashion designer, a style guide. So this is a great beginning. <laughs> so today we're getting into the men's style. I'm going to ask you some questions about, you know, uh, the history of it. What does the style mean to men and how women actually play a role in all of that stuff. So yeah, so Russell, let's get into it. Uh, but first we have this first question on the show that I ask all men and that is what do you find attractive in a woman okay well that is pretty straightforward but it also might surprise you a little okay what i find attractive in a woman is success success of any kind she has to be good at something and wants to be good at something so that doesn't mean necessarily she has to be rich although that's hugely attractive in itself as well (laughs) but but it means that she i am very attracted to a woman who is driven who has some professional ambitions and who has achieved some success, even if that means being in a graduate degree program somewhere, but is aiming for something that she can do herself. In other words, what I'm totally attracted by is confidence, proficiency, and yeah, let me admit to status as well. That's that's attractive to me as well. Interesting. And it's funny because a lot of women believe that men are the opposite, right? A lot of women believe that men like to be the powerful one and they like to have a woman who is less successful than they are so that they can feel strong. I don't know what men they're talking to because none of my male friends <laughs> are like that. Yeah, I think there's uh, a little bit of a misconception that, I mean, it depends on the man, obviously, but I, I get what you're saying. It makes absolute sense. All right, great. So uh, let's get into it, uh, Russell. So tell me a little bit about your story and how you got into fashion. From what I know is that your dad is uh, South African and he is a university professor or he was a university professor. So he was very academic. And then your mom actually was really like a lot into fashion. So you would be growing up with these very literary magazines. I mean, academic magazines and Vogue. And yes. a lot of the stuff that uh, you know about fashion style was passed to you by your by your father. So tell me a little bit about yourself, because I know you're a writer and you publish, right. uh, you know, you have novels and you just published your latest, uh, you know, uh, book on short stories. And how did you get into the fashion? And we basically want to hear your story a little bit. Okay, well, I studied literature like my father. I, he was a university professor of English, and I thought I would be an academic as well. I was good at languages. I studied French and Italian, and I ended up majoring in French, and then I did French literature. I did a master's on French surrealist poetry, and I thought I was going to do a PhD, but I got tired <laughs> after writing my thesis and scared of doing the PhD because it was too difficult. So I said, I'll go to Toronto, the biggest city in Canada, for one year and just take a year off, which I did, and I never came back uh, because I started going out with rich kids and going to nightclubs and parties and art galleries, and I started writing magazine articles about those things, and then I started publishing them, and then I started writing funny stories, which became my first novel, which came out 
in the 90s. And um, that novel was a strange success because it was a funny novel about young people living in the city. And we didn't have a lot of those in Canada because Canadian literature tended to be about the country and the past. I had to make a living wearing various hats, writing about various subjects. If you're a freelance writer, generally, I did travel, I did food, I was a food critic for five years. I, and I fell into fashion by accident because I have no training whatsoever. I remember I wrote an article about South Africa, which is where my family's from, and I gave it to this very intellectual, very literary magazine called The Idler, all run by middle-aged men. And I came in to talk about my article on South Africa, and they looked at me and they said, do you know anything about fashion? And I said, well, yes. And they said, good, you're a fashion correspondent. And that was only because I was the youngest person who'd ever walked into that office. That was the only reason I got that job. So from then I had to learn about fashion. I started going, uh, well, I had spent a year in Paris as a student, and I had gone to the spring collections when I was working for a magazine there. I'd gone to sell issues of the magazine there. But as I said, too, my dad had this interesting perspective on men's fashion. Men's fashion is very different from women's mm-hmm. in various ways. But the most important way is that men's fashion is much more bound by convention. That, that men's fashion is not about fashion. It's about fitting in and showing your status. And that's why it changes so very little. And the high fashion on the runways affects men's fashion that they actually wear very, very little. And so to learn how to dress respectably for men involves learning a lot of rules and conventions that are class-based. So this was what my father learned as a scholarship student from the colonies when he went to Oxford in the late 1950s. He was a Rhodes Scholar from South Africa. And so he was... Uh, an outsider, and had to learn all these, it was a very class conscious, very privileged place at the time, and he had to learn all these rules about how a gentleman laces his shoes and buttons uh, <laughs> his jacket, and what colors he can wear, and what exactly how to tie a bow tie, and, and all of these rules are very, very strict. They were necessary for his social status, and so that he passed them on to me. Mm. He taught me all those manly things, how to shave, how to pop your shoes which has very specific techniques i think but what you're saying is actually i think is very important because as a woman now i see that a lot of men are kind of confused you know it's i see that there's a lot of trends here and there and what i love about your story is that you know your father passed on to you all of this knowledge about not only how to be a man but also how to dress as a man and all that stuff and we kind of lost that father-son connection you know i'm exploring masculinity and all that so our young men growing up are a little bit confused because they didn't have a fatherly figure you know to teach them proper you know to, they didn't have a guide so to say and uh, but i want to ask you about something you mentioned in the interview where you said that men are actually critiqued for having a sense of fashion so I feel like today we have a misconception about what it is for a man to be stylish and fashionable and I know that and I myself have sometimes judged men for being too fashionable I I think that uh, this is a problem mostly in North America Europeans don't have this problem as much that American men are very conservative in this way, Canadians as well. And this is changing as these countries, these very young countries grow older and and more sophisticated. But they're they're basically conservative countries in in North America. And so also we had the strange distortion of the idea of men's appearance that happened in the 1960s with the counterculture movement. In the 1960s, it became popular to say that any kind of artificial grooming was grooming was itself was artificial and therefore it was less authentic and therefore less manly to be a man mm-hmm. 
called letting yourself go, growing your facial hair, showing the hair on your chest, and dressing like a mountain man rather than a city man because city men were corrupt in the establishment. Mm. And that's a, a heritage of that brief movement in, in social history has stayed with us for a long time because it's really a blip in the history of men's fashion in which men have always been peacocks, particularly military men, the toughest men there are, dressed in the most flashy ways. So the idea that a tough man would not be elegantly groomed is a very, very recent one and, and, and just a short blip in history that we're still recovering from. I encourage men, if they're going to explore their appearance, to basically stay within the rules of conservative dressing, but to find a sensual outlet within it. For example, the silk pie, the silk pocket square, the beautiful pink shirt, some element of color within that uniform, some sense that you take a sensual pleasure from the fabrics that you're putting on your body. <laughs> well, I love that. I love what you're saying because, you know, as I mentioned before, I study the feminine and the masculine energies and, you know, all of us have it. And a lot of men, especially today, you know, they force or they go against their feminine side, which all of us have. And I love how you mentioned sensuality in the men's dressing and how all these little details, you know, the tie, the, the pockets, the socks, all of that stuff. And in fact, Russell, uh, if you look at my logo, the Men Inside Show logo, there's a little time there. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was a very cool detail. And uh, yeah, I love how you mentioned this, you know, because men... There are ways to express yourself, but obviously not as women express themselves in their dressing. So then this little details and they're very noticeable, like women notice that. So I love that fine touch that you bring into into that. So that's awesome. And so let us finish the first part of the interview. Like the current trends for men, like as, as I mentioned before, men are confused. <laughs> and where are we going with this? Like, what is the future? What, how is the present? Because I know you mentioned some of the trends that are going on into like the anti or the rebellious men who are like, I don't care about fashion anymore. Let's just dress simply and, you know, um, not show any kind of color or whatever. So what is your take on the present and the future of men's style? The present and the future are fragmented, very fragmented. There are pressures on men from all different directions that are contradictory. So there is a pressure to dress in the expensive athletic wear of the hip-hop star. Is that sexy and masculine? Or is sexy and masculine to dress like a dandy with an elegant suit and a tie and a pocket <laughs> of shiny leather shoes? These things are contradictory. We're getting them both from the media at all times. And I think that explains what can only be described as hipster fashion. Mm -hmm. That's the white middle-class fashion of the Western world, which for men involves a very, very strict anti-sensual uniform. It involves a kind of proud rejection of any clothing that doesn't fit in this uniform. The uniform means you have a beard, you have glasses, you have tattoos, you have a tight plaid shirt, and you have narrow jeans, preferably rolled up a bit at the ankle. And this uniform is cultivated to the point that it becomes a flamboyance of its own, that the beards that were initially worn to be anti-fashion have now become elaborate mm -hmm. and ornate yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. flamboyant fashion of themselves. You, even if you're trying to avoid fashion, you can't avoid it. That's the one uniform that I probably dislike the most, but I'm much more inclined to be interested in expensive dressing. <laughs> I think that sets you aside. And that's why we still are drawn to action heroes like James Bond. Now, let me talk about James Bond for a second. Why does James Bond last it from the 1950s to now as a masculine ideal? Well, it's because he's violent and because he's dangerous and he can garrote you with a shoelace. 
but also because he's wearing the most beautiful Tom Ford suits uh, <laughs> known to man. And also he has an old fashioned class-based sense of sophistication. So he knows exactly what kind of wine to drink with fish. He knows how to behave at the opera, etc. So he has elements of privilege in his bearing, even though he is also violent and dangerous. These are aspects of masculinity which many people think are contradictory. You think, oh, well, I can't be a sensitive man and enjoy the opera and beat the crap out of somebody at me with a knife at the same time. James Bond is the, is the ultimate combination of all those things. Yeah. And so that's why I would encourage men not to be afraid of elegant clothing. Yeah, so I, I love what you're saying. I mean, for us, I think women really like a man who is confident in what he's wearing, but is also taking care of himself. You know, ultimately it's that. So I guess the conclusion that I'm making here is you know, men uh, should be encouraged to explore fashion, to explore their style, but at the same time, know the classics while being uh, themselves and finding their own style. Because I guess, I mean, there are subtle differences, obviously, but still they need to be who they are and express themselves in what they're wearing. Hi, girlfriends. Sorry to interrupt uh, your listening to the episode. But I quickly wanted to jump in and let you know that I have prepared something exciting for you. If you're interested in polarity, femininity, and how to embrace your feminine and how to attract primarily masculine men in your life, this announcement is going to be very useful for you because I'm talking about my signature uh, training. Uh, I'm like, how do I describe this experience? Because it's really an experience, you know. This is a signature training, my one-hour webinar that I've put together. And it honestly, it's it's been through a few iterations in the last two years. But I feel like this is the best yet training of mine that didn't come from, you know, reading two books and three courses and like coming together in a copy-paste thing that I now advise women to do. No, this has come from me, my own lived experience through my dating life and through finding and attracting the masculine men of my dreams and then marrying him and creating a family. This also came, yes, indeed, from a lot of research and learning and courses and coaches and oh my God, you name it. You know, it's been a, it's been a journey of five years for me about that time. And also this has come from my clients. So the previous training, how is this different if you've signed up for another training of mine? which was the lie of female success, by the way. This is different because this is now coming through a distillation of my work one-on-one with women who I've helped get to that place where they're just attracting better men and they start attracting better masculine men and are on their way to actually to a relationship eventually. Not only masculine, but also masculine committed men. So if you are in a situation where you're attracting men that are less than desirable, let's say they're feminine men who don't want to lead, don't want to take charge, and men who are unavailable, then this training is for you. I will have to call all this training, how to start attracting your masculine committed men, basically in 30 days or less. And in this training, I will share with you some of the key things that I've learned throughout this journey that are helping. That's what my work with women is based on. So in this 60-minute training, you'll find the number one reason why you're still single and can't attract a committed masculine men. It's not what you think. How to break through the pantheons of attracting unavailable or feminine men, as I said, and find your blind spot so you can attract the men you want. How to master the feminine masculine polarity so you start feeling taken care of, 
claimed and finally be able to let go of control and uncover the liar female success that's keeping you stuck, exhausted and unfulfilled, which means in masculine energy all the time. So you can start living in freedom and joy and much, much more. So if you're interested, go to girlskill.com slash webinar, sign up. And I can't wait for you to see this training and to let me know how it went. And by the way, there's no replays for this. So make sure you select the time that you can show up and be fully present. All right, I'm going to jump off and you continue listening to this episode. So now let's uh, let's talk about the awkward jar. And I've okay. prepared a really nice one for you. So it's okay. basically a statement that I find online and you'll have to provide mm-hmm. a theory for that. So, um, and most of the time it doesn't make sense. So okay. the awkward jar for you today is Russell. It is a known fact that men who have pierced ears are better prepared for marriage. Marriage? Yes. And, now that uh, is very surprising. It is very surprising. So what do you think about, why, why do you think that happens, Russell? <laughs> Let me say that I have one pierced ear that I've had since I was 18 years old. <laughs> but uh, the pierced ear, I'm afraid, has not prepared me for marriage in any way. <laughs> I think that, that in all seriousness, that the, the major reason must be that a man who pierces his ear is doing a stereotypically feminine act. It is still considered more the province of women to wear earrings. And so a man who does that is expressing an openness, a sort of um, sensitivity by, by doing a stereotypically feminine thing that makes him, I suspect, more capable of dealing with the domestic. That's my thing. Very interesting. Wow. Mm. Very deep. Mm, thank you. That was very interesting <laughs> to ponder on that. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for your answer. And now we actually get into the second part of the interview, which is where we talk about women. What I'm interested in is how do we as women play a role that is encouraging, supportive to a man's style. Because I feel like we as women get a little bit confused because we don't want to be too pushy and telling him what to wear, how to wear, and so on, because we want him to find his own style and stuff. What do you think about a woman's role in a man's sense of style? Yeah, it's a very good question and a very tricky one, and there's no (laughs) clear answer. Because it's true that the vast majority of men's clothing in the United States has always been, well, at least in the 20th century, been bought by women. This is starting to change now, but up until about 15 years ago, still 60% of men's clothing was bought by women. Men still think it's the province of women. They need to take care of it. Their partner, for Christmas, she'll set me up with a couple of jackets and a couple of ties. It's all. And men give up then when women start doing that for them. They let themselves be dressed. And I think that's a terrible infantilizing thing that then you give up control of yourself, your identity, your sensuality. I would never allow a woman to dress me. I'd certainly ask her opinion if I was in the store with her on something, but I wouldn't necessarily take it. And you know what happens when women start dressing their men entirely and when they start pushing them towards certain clothes? It's funny. They push them towards very conservative clothes, I find. They push them towards safe Often little boy like dressing. They'll push them towards nice blazers and V-neck sweaters and cardigans and khaki trousers and check shirts. And I think that unconsciously, I'm going to say something terrible. And a lot of women are going to hate me for saying this, but I think that unconsciously this expresses a desire to infantilize their men. In other words, to desexualize them, to emasculate them to a certain point so that they look respectable, but they're not a threat to anybody. Now, how do you get men to take an interest in clothing? That's another question. What you have to do is subtly build an environment around them without letting them know that you're doing it that values the aesthetic. 
point out things that you like, and not just in clothing, but in terms of design, of decor, of, of architecture, of paintings that you like, anything aesthetic, you've got to get a man starting to think. The environment around me is important, and gradually he will start to learn by himself. You've got to slowly immerse him in it. And leaving fashion magazines around is not a bad idea as well. <laughs> to look at, but you can't go at it head on. You can't say, "I need to get you new clothes. You need to dress more like this." And I know many men who, on being told that they need to improve their dress, will simply dig in their heels and say, "No, I'm going to wear my yeah. t-shirt sleeves ripped off because I want to meet your mother in that t-shirt because you are not going to tell me how to dress." <laughs> be very careful. We have big egos. We don't want to be feel feel that we are being told what to wear by women. So you've got to go about this very very carefully. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you know it's a, it's an art and a skill like how to do these things, and and I'm sure there are many many tricks and tips that women can do to to do that. And I feel like it's also about giving him feedback, like positive feedback and positive reinforcement whenever, for example, he does something or whatever. Because anyways, our men want to be with us and you know want to make us feel good with him and all that stuff. So that's that's great. And uh, so my last question, Russell, before we get into the two biggest questions of this interview is, um, you know, because right now I'm seeing a man and uh, oftentimes we're going out, for example, or women, you know, who are just dating. How do we, because you know, this whole idea of matching, And because, you know, sometimes we talk about it and he's like, okay, I need to match you or you need to match me. What do you think about this whole matching of, of outfits and dressing of a man and a woman? Does it really matter? Like if well, I'm going out yeah. and, you know, how does well, that you want to match? You don't want to match your outfits, obviously. You don't want to both be wearing blue floral. That can be very cute, you know? <laughs> But... <laughs> That's not what we mean when we say matching, right? We mean that we you want to be matched on the same level of dressiness. And this is often a problem in couples because in this culture in particular, in North America in particular, women tend to dress better than men. So they dress up. And the, how many times have you been out when you've seen these couples where you think, how could she be with him? He's yeah. wearing shoes and jeans and a baseball cap and a check shirt or a sweatshirt in a restaurant. And she's got heels and a tight <laughs> dress and a pearl necklace. We, we see this every day and we think how is it possible that men are allowed to get away with this and it seems to me that they're not being respectful of their women so i think in that case it's very tricky again you don't want to lecture your man on what to wear you want to subtly recommend things you want to say uh, oh by the way this is a little bit dressy uh, where we're going when you're out with your man point out things that other men are wearing that you like say oh that's a nice jacket Don't ever say, oh, that's a really good looking guy. That's not going to happen. <laughs> say, 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 that's a nice jacket. Oh, what do you think of his, ask his opinion. Say, oh, what do you think of those shoes? I kind of like them. Um, just to bring his eye to things. And then slowly, slowly, he will start to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great. Yeah, that's, that's a great advice. Thank you so much. I guess it's also a matter of common sense, you know, like where are you going? What's going yeah. on? And of course... Well, men are idiots though. Men are total idiots about this. I mean, they will go to the... <laughs> wearing their running shoes at a certain point they just have to be told yeah <laughs> they have to see themselves in nice clothes in order to know what it's like you know i often take out men shopping for to buy their first suits and they are men who have had uh being able to get well into adult life without owning a suit because they're artists or, or academics and for suddenly they have some success they have to go to an award show they need a suit they come to me and they're very scared about how much they're going to have to spend And they come wearing their running shoes. And I say, oh, why did you wear your running shoes? We're trying on suits. Don't you get it? Uh, yeah. They don't understand the most basic things about it. They didn't even shave before they came out. Mm -hmm. And 
if you get them then, say, try on these shiny shoes, put on this dark suit, and it has to be a dark suit, not a light suit. Many men are afraid of dark suits because they think they're too formal, and then they buy a light gray suit, which is not practical or useful. Put them in a dark gray or navy suit, a white shirt, a silver tie, black shoes, and tell them to put it on and come out of the change room. You will see that moment when they look at themselves and they will see for the first time a different kind of man emerging. And always, always the result is amazement and a kind of thrill. They really didn't think they could pull it off until they actually wow, see it. Amazing. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all this information, Russell. What I'm getting from it is that, first of all, we shouldn't pass any judgment in that sense that men, men's style is important. I mean, in my opinion, I think in general, we need to encourage our men to dress well and not to, you know, just simply forget about it. And it's it's just a, like a basic principle of taking care of yourself. And also we as women, we need to find a balance of how to encourage men and how to support them in their quest for, you know, finding their own style, but also, um, you know, following the classic movements of, you know, owning a good pair of shoes, uh, you know, how do you dress up with a tie and stuff like that. So, but also guiding through them and supporting them in that without being too pushy and telling him what to do, what to wear and all of that. So um, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Russell. And now we get to the final two questions of the interview. And that is related to you <laughs> as a man. So first one is, uh, what is your biggest fear as a man? Well, everything changes. Every answer I would give to those chain questions changed for me when I had a child six years ago. So I have a six-year-old boy. And now he is the source of all my greatest fears. So my greatest fear in life is that something would happen to him. Uh, people say that when you have a child, your heart gets taken out of your body and then it starts walking around outside. <laughs> your <laughs> And that's what happened. I feel my heart is walking around outside my body and I'm constantly vulnerable. I'm constantly worried about him. It changes your life in, in not such a good way. It makes you kind of crazy. And then what happens next is your career becomes hugely important because you feel a need to provide for him and particularly in his future. I can't live anymore as a bohemian, as a student. I can't think I'm going to give everything up and go to Costa Rica and live in a hut on the beach for, uh, for a year because I need suddenly a higher income and I need stability and I can't leave the place where he goes to school. So I would say my greatest fear now as a man is career, career-based. And this is, this is an old-fashioned problem for men. We are constantly in anxiety about our professional success, particularly as you reach middle age, like me, this is the gnawing factor that's bigger than any sexual issue, really even any health issue. It's the question of, am I a big enough provider? And of course, that is related to your whole sense of status in the world as a man in a way that, women, that they don't have it as much. Interesting. Mm. Thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable. <laughs> so now let's end on a positive note. And uh, the last question is... Um, what was your most embarrassing moment in your sex or dating life? Okay, well, when I published my first novel in 1994, I was only 30 years old, and I went to a small university town to give a reading for a literary magazine there. And of course, there are young women around, and I was kind of the star of the evening. They had advertised this evening, and a lot of people came, and I thought, well, I am hope that at least I'm in a foreign town, I'm going to get laid. I was staying in a bed and breakfast, and I didn't want to go back there. I had to find some woman who would take me home. So I waited till the party afterwards was almost over. <laughs> woman left, and she was really the last one standing, and I left with her, and I said, oh, I don't want to go back to my bed and breakfast. And she said, 
well, I'm a student at the university. You can come back to my residence. And I thought, oh boy, a women's residence. I'm too old for that. I'm here for this. I'm never going to see this person again. So we fall. I walked right across town with her, right across this, this town I didn't know till I was completely lost. I couldn't have got home anyway. We sneak in because boys aren't allowed in the women's residence. Yeah. We see a motorcycle parked outside and she says, uh-oh, that's Danny's. And I say, Danny, <laughs> Danny. <laughs> and she says, never mind, he probably won't come in. And I say, at this point, I really shouldn't have left, but I, yeah. I don't know. So we go in and we start playing video games in her room. Her roommate is away, so there's two beds there filled with girls' clothes and smelling of girl. And so we start making out and she stops me and she says, no, you're not going to come to bed with me because I don't know you very well. And I said, but of course you don't know me very well. <laughs> I don't know you very well, but what else are we doing here? Why did you ask me to come back and spend the night in your hotel room? She says, no, I'm a Catholic and I don't do that. So I said, okay. Fine, I guess I just made a mistake. And she said, it's four o'clock in the morning, and I said, I'm not going to try to find my bed and breakfast. She said, oh, you can sleep in my roommate's bed. So with some anger, I get in my her roommate's bed, in my underwear, and try to sleep, and I can't sleep. The girl goes to sleep. I, she starts to snore. I get up to go to the bathroom. The bathroom is the shared washroom on the on the in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. And as I go out into the hallway in my underwear, I hear the door click behind me, and it's locked. I use the watch. I come back. I'm standing under the fluorescent lights in the hallway in my underwear in a women's residence. And I try knocking on the door and calling her name. But she's asleep. She won't wake up. And and I don't want to yell because I wake up all the other girls on the floor. And I'm trapped up there. Just then I hear laughter of women's voices coming down the hall. A bunch of girls are coming home from the bars late at night. Oh, no. I'm trapped. On the door is a poster of me. It's my face. Because this girl was organizing the reading that I just gave. <laughs> so I'm standing in front of my own poster, my own face. I'm obviously this guy standing in his underwear. Everyone knows what happens. They walk past me. They look at me. They look at the poster. They all laugh. And this is why one should never write novels. <laughs> That's a great conclusion. So how did this story end? Like, did she open the door? And Finally, end? she opened the door. That's it. <laughs> oh god wow wow this is an amazing story and i can i can tell you're a writer because by the way you were telling it it was incredible <laughs> wow that's well i guess you learned your lesson russell from that exactly anyway. <laughs> do not be led around a foreign town by your penis that's that's the end <laughs> exactly especially if you're not a hundred percent sure of the intention the woman has yeah. <laughs> wow awesome well thanks thanks so much for sharing that and uh <laughs> We're at the end of the interview, so thank you so much for the interview. It was a great one. I think I, I learned a lot, and um, I hope the women listening learned a lot as well. Russell, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. And this was fun, and I wish you good luck as a writer and uh, the provider as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anna. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Bye. Bye. All right, girlfriends, hope you enjoyed listening or watching to this episode. And if you did, and if you resonate with most of the things I'm saying, and you want to learn more, and you want to finally start attracting masculine men, I have an invitation for you. So as you know, I am committed and passionate about helping successful women attract and keep committed masculine men. So 
I have a personal invitation for you. If you're resonating with everything and you're ready to step up and invest in yourself and take things to the next level, I would love, love, love to talk to you and see if you would be a fit for my work and what I do. And so basically what I'm doing is I'm inviting you and it's a personal invitation If you, only if you resonate because I don't work for, with everyone and I'm not here to just, you know, make a quick buck and whatever. I'm here committed to your result and I will make sure that we go until the end and that we get you the result that you want which is start attracting better men. So I invite you to sign up to actually apply for a free discovery call with me. It's a call that is one hour long and what we do is we talk about your current situation, where you are today and what's wrong, quote unquote wrong, with your dynamics with men, what you don't like and then we're going to talk about what you really want and where you want to get. And at the end, if I find that that's a good fit, I'll tell you what I do and I'll offer you to join us and uh, how we could work together. So just to give you a bit of context, this is this experience is all about and what I'm going to offer to only if I find that that's a good fit is about number one, putting yourself in the best position to start attracting committed masculine men and not through tactics and techniques or tips, tricks, whatever, but just by being you and understanding and appreciating men, thus creating a deeper relationship with yourself as a feminine essence woman and attract better committed masculine men. Number two, it's all about letting go of overworking perfectionism and the need to control by overcoming your limiting beliefs, patterns, and obstacles to rediscover your worth and enoughness and rebuilding your faith in your own voice, in your own decisions, and exploring your boundaries and so on and so on. Number three, it's all about letting your body lead, stop overthinking, and start trusting your gut and your heart when it comes to making decisions, expanding and embracing your range of emotions, cultivating sense of awareness and pleasure and feeling more without apologizing for it. And I know if you're here, you understand and you know that the path to your masculine man who is a conscious, healthy man is through you, is through embracing your feminine nature, is through running with the wolves and embracing your wild feminine side and actually gaining power from it. And a healthy masculine man will only be attracted to that if you get to that place yourself. And last but not least, it's all about becoming deeply connected to yourself as a woman. Understand what true femininity is exploring deeper levels of intimacy, and finally becoming free, lighter, and open. Embracing basically the feminine side of polarity, because again, this is what your masculine man wants. And it's all about stop living in the masculine energy by pushing, doing, and choosing all the time, and start living, enjoy freedom and your wild nature, where you can surrender, where you can finally let go. Trust me, this is an amazing place to be, and it's easy and joyful, and it feels natural and feels like a woman. So if you resonate, go to girlskill.com slash apply, and there's going to be a short survey, step one, just apply there, and then the next step is to schedule a call with me. It's going to be an hour. We have fun on this call, so I hope to see you there. And my, my calendar is booked for another, I mean, booked. My calendar is open for another week. So go ahead and do that. If you don't see times that are available for you, make sure you email me because I'll always make time for you to make sure that you get your spot. All right, girlfriend, keep running with wolves and I'll see you next week with another episode of Girl Skill Podcast or my YouTube channel that I already have. Okay, bye! <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Girl Skill. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher to never miss an episode. And never forget that your version of success is uniquely yours to live and experience. Until next time, let's continue redefining female success together. Girlskill.com Female success, redefined. Redefined.